This is the IOTEX Ecosystem Podcast, where we highlight top projects building the connected future. IOTEX envisions a world where billions of devices and decentralized applications seamlessly merge the digital and physical worlds, all while preserving privacy and financially empowering everyday users. Today's conversation features Jason Bernard, founder of Illumicate a Web3 protocol that bills itself as the world's largest decentralized outdoor capture network. Jason has been in the IT industry his entire career before making the switch to Web3 last year. We discuss the powerful and slightly creepy billboard sensors Illumicate developed and how a Web3 platform can distribute the control and profits of the world's camera and sensor networks. We discuss the deflationary token model Jason envisions for the platform that would give miners in year one 6,000 times the token reward. We discuss the smart city boom of a couple years ago, and we discuss the distinction between crypto and Web3. All this and much, much more. All right, Jason, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Just talk me through your background and what led you to Web3.0. Sure, yeah, pleasure being here. Background depends how far we want to go back. I've always been a bit of a tinker at a really young age. I was the guy who took apart the binoculars and the telescope. And at this age of nine or 10 years old, just to see how everything works, take it all apart, put it back together. And that's just how I've been with everything, which translates into professional career where I got into technology, IT servers and digging into everything and trying to optimize everything. And so that's really what makes me tick is finding optimal ways to do things. And that's where the startup life for me is great. Finding product market fit, finding niche areas where optimizations can happen and things are not being done efficiently. So through, throughout everything I've done, that's where I've found my niche is just trying to troubleshoot and find these niche areas that need fixing. So throughout all of that, that's what brought me to Illumicate. So Illumicate is actually a company that prior to my arrival designed a really cool product for billboards. So if you think of a billboard and what they did is they created a camera that you put on that billboard that looks at the traffic. So when a BMW drives by, Mercedes can put up their ad on that billboard. It's that responsive. So you can see a car and immediately respond. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's real time. So this just, as soon as the car goes by, see it from a distance coming in, change that video. So with that, they could do things like, you know, record the regular traffic that's going on throughout the day. This time of day, you have a lot more Hondas or whatever it may be. These are the people you want to advertise to. The technology goes much deeper than that. And we can see how many people are in the cars, male, female kids. Now, when you start going into all that, you get into what is privacy laws? Are you allowed to do this? Not. So there's a lot of things going on there. But when I came into the company, it was to go, okay, how are we going to deploy this product and get it out there into the hands of the advertisers and marketers and billboard operators? So that was my job. And having my, my history of digging in and going, what's the real problem here? And I started digging in, asking the key questions to the marketers, other industries as well. So cities, governments, and going, what does a device like this, counting traffic, looking at this, what's the real problem? What are we solving with this device? What we found is that marketers, billboard operators, they all want to know the traffic. They all want to know what's going on. They think that what Lumicate built at the time was really cool, but selling it's a different story, right? So now you're going, okay, are you going to buy one? You'd set it up and actually 
put it out there and that starts to be difficult. So now you're getting into hardware ownership, all of that. So anyway, all of that, what came out of it was the data everybody wants. The net owning the network, nobody really wants that. That's just a cost of doing business and nobody really wanted to do that. And that's where Lumicade 2.0 comes into play, which is essentially what we're building is the world's largest decentralized outdoor capture network. So we're doing that in three phases, but essentially, mostly it's web three, which means people will own these devices that will look at the traffic and we're focusing on traffic to start with, but they'll own these devices that look at the traffic, count the traffic. And these are numbers that there's already a whole industry around this. There's already multiple players buying this data so that we know there's great value in the data, but we're doing web three style so that the people not only get to own part of this network, they also get to decide what gets captured and not because there are a lot of privacy issues. There's a lot of comfort level things here where people don't want to be on camera. They don't want facial recognition happening or things like that. It sounds like what you had is a classic network effect scenario where at the individual level, it didn't make sense for someone to purchase this camera because the benefit wasn't outweighing the cost. But when you scale this network and you create a data set that you can then run, algorithms on, do data science on, you start delivering insights that are tremendously valuable, but aren't individually incentivized in order to get to that scale. And so immediately you're thinking web three is where this needs to go because there's a lot of privacy violations potentially here. And you want to avoid issues of web two platforms where this was centralized. It's a black box. This is very intimate data that's potentially going to be abused. And so how can you create something very beneficial and preserve the upside, share the financials and make use of this wonderful technology that's also a little bit scary. So what's the timeline here? When did you actually fi find out about crypto and make that switch to Illumicate 2.0, as you say? Timeline wise, it's funny you say that. Last summer, I ran into a neighbor who was talking about Helium. And so I got into Helium, bought a few devices, set them up. And I thought, this is awesome. This is a great way to have people own part of the network and also just to build a business in general. But then you have the governance part where people actually get to vote on what's happening and all of that. I had already known about Illumicate prior to that being an outside investor looking at the company. And later on last year, around October is when I actually joined the company and started asking the key questions to people who could buy and use these devices. And I think it was the beginning of December that it just clicked. And all of a sudden I just went, whoa, I actually got an email, an alert from Helium because they, I think it's great. Whenever there's anything wrong with the network, they automatically alert everybody. And they're very open about that. And I just got a ding on my phone and I just looked at it and I went, this is awesome. I love that they do this. And then I asked, it just clicked. I just went, wow. Whoa, wait, <laughs> wait a minute. This product done in Web3 fashion, something similar to Helium, not obviously all the same, but something similar just makes so much sense. So yeah, that was the last December, but I joined the company in October. So this is all very recent. And when you talk about Illumicate's technology, video sensors within billboards, is any given billboard near a major city going to be using that technology or is this just in a very small area? Actually, so there's a, a big distinction there between Illumicate, Illumicate 1 and Illumicate 2.0. So Illumicate, the device that they built was actually an external device. So it wasn't built into the billboards or anything like that. 
but the original founder of Lumicate had a background in billboards. So that's why he was building something specifically for that industry, because he knew that there's a need for the data and also that this could really help them out. But what we've done with Lumicate 2 is you've hit it on the, a nail on head earlier when you said this network and ownership of the network becomes costly when you're just dealing with one use case. But this network can address so much more than that. That's where it gets really interesting and where this network gets to be worth a lot. But yeah, so we're definitely not looking at billboards at this point, Illumicate 2.0, building the world's largest decentralized network for outdoor capture is really is focused on people just taking these devices, setting them up in their homes and pointing to the street. Homes, businesses, top of trees, wherever. They just point these devices to the road and that's it. So from there, through machine learning, AI, through a whole whack of technologies, we're actually grabbing the data that we need. But to start, that data is traffic. So we want no privacy concerns. We don't want any of that. We want to make our code easily verifiable by any outside parties that are coming in. Long-term, we want this to be open source so that everybody can see exactly what is being tracked. But yeah, it's doing it in three phases. So phase one, we're actually using public infrastructure that's already out there. So people just download a piece of software to their computer, they run it, and it grabs the camera feed automatically and just starts mining. So someone will just point their webcam out their window, sort of thing. Phase one is actually easier than that. So phase one is just download a piece of software and run it on your computer. That's it. That piece of software connects to a public feed camera. So a camera that's already broadcasting online. So that software just connects to that and it starts counting traffic. So phase two, people can use any webcam. So any webcam they have, they just point it outside their window, throw the software on the computer and it's automatically going to start doing the work. And then phase three, mid 2023 is the all-in-one device. So you don't need software running on the computer at that point. It's just going to be one device. It's going to have LiDAR as well as camera in it. Because LiDAR has some advantages over camera, such as seeing in pitch dark, as well as measuring. We're in Canada here, so extremely harsh winter. But because of that, things like the snow plows in the wintertime, they have, cities have to deploy snow plows based on how much snow has fallen up on the road. Currently, they just have snow plows doing a cycle, a loop. With our technology, we can actually see exactly how much snow has fallen on the street and therefore alert snowplow drivers to go into one specific area, clean out uh, larger accumulated amounts of snow in the, on those specific streets and things like that. So just making a lot more efficient operation. Yeah, what I notice here is you actually have an inversion of the traditional Web3 business where it's a network of supply looking for demand, right? And let's take the example of Filecoin, right? They have this incredibly potent incentive with their file token, where there's a massive data centers getting built. Supercharged crypto incentives. So that's what you need to supercharge with type here incentives to create a Bowman type here. And you've actually done is you've identified a problem and need a and and you're actually creating a solution for it like a traditional business, but you're introducing the Web3 components to distribute the financial return, which I would argue maybe is the next evolution of Web3 and maturity into something that's actually aligned with real business needs, but then has as a cherry on top, or maybe even more than that, this Web3 financial layer. So that's pretty exciting. And when you talk about the phase one, 
what exactly are you running on your computer? Why do you need to run software locally on a computer? Is that just so you can manage that camera or just set up the, distrib the distribution of the network? Yeah. So I guess just going quickly back to what you were saying on kind of Web3 and the evolution, I couldn't agree more. Looking at kind of the industry and everything, and there's a lot of chatter around Web3. What is Web? I think it's a little bit different for anybody you talk to. But it, in my eyes, Web3 is simply uh, decentralized ownership of the entire network, we're using things like blockchain and crypto in order to reward, but these are just tools. The, those are tools that enable Web3. Some people blend that in and, oh, Web3 is crypto. Or to me, they're very different. They're separate. They're tools that enable us to do what we need to do. But you're, you got it dead on when you said, we've identified the key problem that people need access to this data, many different in data today. So we're fixing a real problem with web three. And like you said, I think this is the future of web three on the other question, or I guess your question was for software. So the software, the use of it is that's where the AI comes in. So the tracking, so the software runs and it actually grabs traffic events as well as pedestrian events. So how many people are walking by and how many cards there are in the screen, that's what software does. So whether we're talking about an all in one device or having that software on a computer, the software is always doing the same thing. So it's doing machine as well as identification of different events, what it's capable of doing at, versus what we're actually going to be doing to start. Actually, just this week, our lead blockchain engineer got hit by a car. So hit right. So he's in the hospital, a fever, they kind of smacked his head. It's a big deal. Luckily, he didn't die or anything that really bad. But these are the kinds of things that in the future, we're hoping the network will vote on where we can actually take care of these things. So the technology is not what's holding us back here. It's going to be more of being in a gray area in terms of laws or in terms of privacy concerns. So we want to be on the right side here. We don't want to be pushing into that, but at the same time, this network's going to be able to deal with those things. So for example, we can easily set the AI to say when a car and a pedestrian collide. We're going to take a picture of the license plate, or we're going to take a short video, or there's many things we can do that we can automatically dispatch to 911. We can automate all of this can easily be done. It's just a matter of who's comfortable with it and do they want it that. So that's where having this in Web3 form, a DAO, a decentralized organization voting on this, to me, makes a lot of sense. I don't think this power should be placed in the hands of any corporation or any government exercising their power over the citizens. I think this is something the citizens need to vote on. So when they have the cameras in the window, they get to decide on this. But they're also getting rewarded with the tokens at the same time. Right, because, and I wanna go back to how this actually works because if what I think what you're saying is that right now the camera infrastructure, obviously this, it's just a raw camera feed. It doesn't have any CPU locally on the camera. So it has to send that data to a computer or CPU to run the algorithm, which is anyone's home laptop is more than capable of doing that. And then as you get to phase three, you're going to actually introduce a proprietary device that's going to have a CPU on the camera that can run what's called on the edge computation, right? Where actually you don't have to send that data anywhere. It can just happen locally on that device. And it's much faster, much more responsive and much more secure because there's not a, a data feed getting sent between two machines that can be intercepted. You don't have to worry about encryption key handling necessarily. So there's a lot of benefits there. And just that's what you're referring to by phase three. Is that an accurate portrayal? 
Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah. Phase one and phase two will have computing on the computer where the computer is doing kind of that identification, all of that work, and then uploading the data. And phase three, you're exactly right. Everything's being done on the edge. So it's all on this one device. At that point, even having a device with cell phone connectivity is not a problem because we're only going to be uploading maybe 500 megs per month. That's going to be very little. Meanwhile, when you're doing the computing on your computer, you need a, a live feed, right? So you're dealing with probably 50 gigs per month, depending on the quality of the video. But Yeah. And so to get back to your point about, so this is a use case that I think will wrinkle a lot of feathers in the sense that it does have a privacy component to it. We've seen in the new camera is the, probably the most flagrant example of how a corporation that has issued very intimate devices sit on your doorbell can actually send that data feed to police departments without the homeowner even knowing. And so I think the point is like the cat's out of the bag, right? This technology is coming. There are, there already are cameras everywhere and there's going to be even more cameras everywhere that have the ability to do on the edge computation. The question is who's going to own this network. So it's not a question of whether this network is going to exist, which I think people in crypto maybe would prefer. There's a big overlap between privacy and crypto for whatever reason. So can you just talk about the, how this network will actually look in your vision? Obviously it's all a vision. It's not acting on the token price is obviously tough to do. Yeah. We haven't launched a token yet, but we're looking at, I guess, amount. Okay. So ownership is going to be, it's going to be owned by the people. So people are going to have these devices, the computers that are going to be mining the public data feeds or sorry, video feeds that are already out there. Those are owned by the people. They're going to buy NFTs to be able to mine. Most of the whole network, that's going to be owned by people. The voting will also be owned or the voting will be done. It'll be a mix of people, I guess, token ownership, because you will stake your tokens in order to get voting rights on the network. So anybody who accumulates tokens, whether they're mining or not, will get voting rights there. So any miner will end up with all these tokens that they can then apply to voting on any of these. If all of a sudden we're going, Hey, let's introduce gun recognition to the network. So any firearm that's detected, we will do X with it. We'll notify the authorities that would go to a vote for the entire community to say, yeah, I'm comfortable with that. We shouldn't do that. It's completely going to be in the hands of the network owners, which is the people. So we, yeah, we just want to make sure that, so like I was saying earlier, the this is a big deal. We, it's funny. I got an email the last week or the week before from a Jane Doe and the email was interesting. I found it dead on where it was, it started off a little bit nasty with you guys are terrible. I can't believe what you're doing. You're going to take over our privacy rights and you're going to set up this network. And it was funny because it was also positive for us. Where we were saying, of course, you're going to succeed. The government want this data. The authorities want this data. Nobody is going to stop you. The level of rights that you're going to be able to take away from is just crazy. And I'm reading this going, what this person didn't understand is we are doing what we're doing because of that. If we don't, this network's going to exist either way. The benefits that are gained from this network are much too great for this not to exist in 10 years from now. It's going to be there. China already has over a billion cameras. They've done it because there's huge benefits to having it. So this Jane Doe was pointing out all of these concerns that are completely right. Nobody should have the right 
including governments or the authorities, to put such network in place that they can actually do whatever they want with. What we're building is a network where the people decide. And at any point, a vote can be put in place to revolt what they've already done. And so it's not like, hey, okay, we've introduced facial recognition. And then all of a sudden we go, no, we shouldn't have. We're actually seeing things that are happening here we don't like. It goes to another vote. It gets moved. And that, that's the vision. That's the dream here is that this network is owned by the people. It's decided upon by the people. So you also asked about kind of compensation or rewards. That's all through the token. So the way that the network is set up is it's to everything's token based. So the value of the data is reflected into the token. What I mean by that is when you're actually wanting to purchase, you're going to have to first acquire tokens. So the only way to get data is to burn tokens. So when the data is being accumulated, that people will receive tokens. So essentially when you're mining, you're receiving tokens for doing the mining work and these tokens, what they get you is data. So now from there, if you're a miner, you can choose to main, hold on to that token to in the future, get access to the data, or you can down the road, sell it to somebody else who wants access to that data in terms of how much they're going to be getting when we're looking at. These are rough estimates on the numbers. During the first year of mining, we'll estimate people will probably get maybe 6,000 tokens for that first year of mining. By the third, they'll probably end up with maybe 200 tokens per year mined. By the 10th year, they'll probably end up with one token per year. So generally, it's similar to helium in that way, where at the beginning, what you can actually mine, because there's a lot less miners, a lot less people on the network, they're going to get a lot more tokens in comparison. But also in the future, when there's only one token mined per year, you can imagine what happens to the token's value. It just goes up for it. Yeah. Highly deflationary. Yeah. Fascinating that we're talking about you swimming with the stream of basically governments and technology and not trying to push against it, not trying to create. We see this CP, a lot of these web three companies, protocols making basically web three versions of web two protocols, trying to basically go back in time and say, hey, let's remake these super successful social media companies, but in a Web3 way. Part of everyone's consciousness, it's cool to see that taking off because you're competing with an established behemoth that's so entrenched. It's a part of everyone's consciousness, our habitual behaviors to use these Web2 platforms. It's very difficult to imagine a startup in Web3 overcoming that incredible lead. But if you're actually looking at a network that doesn't really exist yet, at least the data network of this camera infrastructure, you actually have a chance to, from the get-go, build it as Web3, which is a much more realistic way to scale a Web3 native business. So I like this a lot. And I just want to ask you about the IOTEX integration. So how exactly are you using IOTEX in your stack? What technology from IOTEX's code base are you using? Just talk about that, if you will. Yeah, I guess that for IOTEX, the choice to go with them, I, we were looking at a few technologies at first, Myota, Constellation, so a couple more. So what really got us interested into IOTEX is the one, the team. I think the team is very responsive, just going back and forth with them. They want their parts to succeed, which is something we didn't feel from the other guys. The other guys are just feeling something here. If you want to be part of it, figure it out. IOTEX is, we are, they're, 
I would say that they're more of a sound, maybe startup mentality where it's, we're still doing product market fit and we're going to make this work. And I love that about them. They're actually pivoting a bit and they're making things make sense. But for us, we're using them as the blockchain part of it for our token and everything. But they also have a layer two to their stack where it allows the integration from our hardware devices, which right now it's the computer software, but that doesn't really change anything in terms of whether it's hardware or a computer. These devices still need to talk to the blockchain. The data still needs to be uploaded and verified in order for these tokens to be rewarded. So that's where IOTEX is helping here is with that layer two. So it's the data Oracle that validates. And that's where I was saying that you need to acquire an NFT earlier. That's part of that operation. So the NFT is used to secure that data connection that goes up to the web stream layer, which is at IOTEX, which then oh, it into our database. And from there, the users are rewarded with tokens based on their participation. It's maybe not completely straightforward. Maybe I'm not completely explaining it, but, but yeah, the, the IOTEX uh, integration is great. What we love about it is also that we're not reinventing the wheel. They're already building something great. Their vision for these IOT devices, I think is dead on. The future is these IOT devices delivering this data. I hope that future is mostly Web3 where people get to benefit from this not huge corporations, and that's their vision. Yeah, so I want to go back to how the governance work. Let's imagine five years down the line, you have major saturation, you have several million miners. There's an issue in Web3 where maybe it's more decentralized than a corporate alternative, but there is a, an oligarchy that emerges where early adopters or major financial players, and Dreesen is the main core typically, especially in DeFi, where they'll come in and they'll just swamp. They'll be the major financial backer, 30, 40% of the tokens. And they'll basically just get to muscle any governance decision that they want through because they're such a dominant player. And maybe they have 30% of the tokens, and then there's another 35% that just follow whatever Andreessen does. So effectively they have a majority and there's less extreme examples of that, but you're, you do recapitulate inequality. It's, it's impossible to create a totally democratized system, especially when you have a financial element. So have you thought about going forward? Maybe if somebody misses the first three or four years, and now you're talking about a distribution rate of the token, that's one one thousandth of, or one ten thousandth of what it was at the beginning, you're talking about major distributions of inequality that are, they have this fat long tail of owners that were early and they're able to muscle everything through. It's a highly influential, powerful network. And maybe you have a dozen people that are at the top. Maybe these are too long-term to think about, but the decisions you make now will have those implications. How do you think about that? How do you think about preventing early adopter agarchies forming within your DAO and your governance? Yeah, that's a very good point. So far we've had, I guess, financial offers, people coming to the table. And the reason we've actually pushed them away so far is because of that. It's funny because everybody wants that initial fundraise so that you can see that this project's successful because so-and-so has put money into it. Even though in most of these cases, they're throwing darts at a board. They're going, how big is your idea and how exciting is it? And as long as you hit that, then you're one of those guys, you're one of the 10. And as long as one to three of those 10 succeed, they're happy. They end up owning a big portion of that company. So that's something that we've definitely considered. And when we're talking to these guys, it's kind of like, 
I don't feel that we're there yet. We've bootstrapped so far. We want to make sure that this network is for the people that it's actually. So it's funny because we've had people come forward and go, who's your backer? And what I'm looking at this now, right? I really love the idea and everything, but we need to see that backing you. Is that really what you want? Or do you want a network that's truly run by the people where the governance is actually by the people because they're the ones that are owning most of it? Um, still doesn't stop somebody from coming and buying out all the tokens, let's say. But by doing so, they're actually raising the price of the token at the same time. And if people are selling their token, it's something you can't control. But at the corporate level or at being the guys that are building us out from the beginning, that is something that we are keeping an eye on. And we do want to alleviate that as much as we can. But in our case, the beauty of it is the network is owned by the people, which is they own the devices. So you run into a situation where somebody ends up owning 30, 40% of the company and they're making decisions people don't like. They'll just rip their devices out of the window. The whole network crashes, which means that the people will still ultimately control no matter what, because they're the ones that have those devices in the windows. So if they're not getting where they want with the vote, then they'll vote with action that device out. So it's more than just the voting structure. It's also you own the device that is the network. But no, we're looking at having the voting rights based on device ownership, on NFT ownership, as well as tokens. And with the NFT side, nobody could actually buy all of these NFTs because they can't possibly have that many 30% of the devices when we're talking about, and then certainly grow into the hundreds of millions, if not billions of devices. Having one player coming in and saying, I own 300 million cameras, good luck. <laughs> well, yeah, there's a intrinsic barrier to swamping the network. There's a friction where even if you're a major financial player, for example, whoever the whale was that brought down. Terra USD, they were able to do that essentially instantaneously. There's no friction. There's no shipping devices, setting them up, creating it, buying the real estate, the necessary. There's a major friction that your network introduces with IoT that makes it a lot more decentralized, which is actually pretty cool. One more thing that could be an issue, there's many things that could be an issue. It's a startup, but one thing that comes to mind is um, you have a DAO, which historians are not move fast and break things there. Maybe they break things. They break themselves. Dow in 2016 was a fiasco. It was just a, basically a tragedy of the commons where you have a lot of distributed governance. No one individually has an incentive to do that much work to move the network forward. They're just thousands or millions. How do you imagine maybe streamlining governance? There's going to be, is there going to be elections to, is there going to be a delegation? You're basically have to have a form of government in your Dow to make it function at scale. Have you thought about that? Yeah, that's probably one of my, one of my things I think too much. <laughs> no, we've definitely considered a lot of different ways of doing this. And ultimately what we've come down to is we currently, we're not really focused as much on it because it's down the road. So what, being a startup, you find that, or personally, at least I find that I'd start digging in and I want to make sure that everything is aligned before going forward. But at a certain point, you need to just pull back and go, let's first start building this network and getting that, well, that traction going. And the, in terms of governance, we're looking at probably a year down the road by the time we actually introduce governance anyway. At the beginning of a project like this, you have to have a team that is responsible for making these decisions. In our case, we're making sure that we're tracking traffic. That's it. We're not going to introduce facial recognition and gun detection and accidents and 911 alerts or anything like that prior to having governance. But there will definitely be significant thought put into 
the governance structure to make sure that this is something that is actually, that it matches the vision, which is that the people will get to have the vote. And also we can only implement it once we have cert scale, cert size. Otherwise you're throwing the vision into the hands of people that don't share that vision too early. So there's, yeah, there's a tipping point and we need to make sure that we reach that prior to implementing governance. Yeah, and I think that's right. You can't just on the whiteboard solve every future problem before you even launch. That's how startups work is you just, you're experimenting. You're just actually getting feedback from the world and responding to it and growing and iterating. And that's what the challenge, an additional challenge that Web3 founders have that Web2 founders don't is you have so many more things you have to think about, not just the technology. You have to think about managing a community and building a governance model, which you're, so you're supposed to be a political scientist, a technologist, an executive. It's a crazy responsibility. So more power to you. That's a, that's a lot. And, and I'm a huge of what you're working on. It's, it's an incredibly inspiring vision. So if you're just speaking to the average crypto investor out there, maybe somebody who's used Helium before is a Helium contributor, what is the way to get involved right now? So yeah, right now we've got illumicade.com. Our website, we have a wait list there to sign up and that will be for phase one. So phase one, we are extremely close right now to having our beta released. And from there, we'll, that wait list will be the next up on the list to actually acquire an NFT and to start mining. So the mining is going to happen very quickly here. Best way to do that is just to get on the, on the wait list on the, on our website, illumicate.com. Awesome. I will be doing that right after we hang up here. <laughs> Yeah, I hope so. It's what gets me excited about this project is uh, there, there are a lot of use cases for it. There's a lot of, that we can do to help. Yeah. We're looking at things like saving lives where literally the AI and the algorithm can actually see somebody drop having a heart attack or anything and automatically dispatching 911 or automatically sending an image so that they can actually look at what situations going on, things like that, reducing pollution reducing congestion. So no more two hour drive to work. Sure. It might still be an hour, might be an hour and a half, but not two hours. So there's a lot that this network can really do. So to, to me, that's the biggest advantage is for people to actually own a part of that and to have a voice in that on the crypto side. I don't want to speculate because that's not good, but to say that this data is not going to be worth a lot of money would I think be wrong. This data is going to be worth a lot. And even if it's not financial, it's worth a lot in terms of just helping humanity, I think. But yeah, so I think people should get involved mainly for that reason, to just contribute to what this actually can do. But the crypto side of it is still extremely attractive. Yeah, yeah. And in terms of the, your partnerships with data, so who's going to be your early buyers? Is it going to be governments? Most likely. Yeah, cities would be the early buyers as, as well as marketers. There's a lot, there's a few different industries that already have entire systems around this. They're acquiring data. So they're currently buying data that is not accurate. A lot of this data is cell phone triangulation data. So these are based on sample sizes that are then extrapolated. So based on this amount, these, this many hours, we're not going to say this area gets approximately this many cars but they don't know what make the car is. There's a lot of things they don't know, but also these numbers are not accurate. They're also old. So to, to enter these industries, to go into the city, speaking of cities, so in, in Canada here, if somebody makes a traffic complaint in the city, then the city has to send out an engineer. So not just a summer student, they send, they send out an engineer to count traffic 
all the amount of money being wasted on these efforts it is crazy. And you also see summer students constantly parked, counting cars with a account. But these are all things that we can have instant data. Percentage-wise, we're not quite at 100%. I do believe that AI will get there. But to have numbers that are that close to the actual real-life numbers, as long as we're probably over 96%, then everything's good. It's funny that you mentioned cell phone triangulation because I just had a my last conversation with a co-founder called Atul Chator, who has a company called Roadrunner. And he was describing the privacy violations of basically cars sharing their data with data. Famously, there was one called Autonomo which had a major class action lawsuit leveled against it just, I think, two or three months ago that basically brought the company to its knees. And, but there are $20, $30 billion car data brokers in Europe and in the U.S. that are in the business of collecting data, both from car sensors directly and cell phones in cars and selling it presumably to cities and whoever else, advertisers, marketers. So this is going on. The question is, who's going to be financially rewarded from it, who's going to be in charge of this network. It's an interesting kind of comparison. Maybe even be an opportunity for a partnership between you and Roadrunner down the lines. It's interesting, actually. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned the kind of cars, things like that. And we've had that question from community members that are like, what you guys are doing already is going to exist and Tesla is going to do this. And with that one, this data should be owned by the people, not by a corporation, but two, us. Uh, the data we're collecting isn't really the same because when you're talking about the data in a car that's driving, you'd have to have every car having this technology of uploading. So yeah, 50 years down the road, that might exist. Even then you'll still have some old muffled cars or yourself, a bunch of people that are driving something that doesn't have this technology in it. Our cameras can see all of it. So with our cameras, you see every car go by, you see the make and model of it. We can extrapolate even more than just what it's seeing. We can go with this make and model, this car is producing this much carbon, this city is actually your, there's a lot we haven't talked about, like a lot that we, this network can influence and can make better. So if you're looking at the city, you can all, you can go, okay, the city has implemented these efforts. It's cost $10 million. What actually happened to the car? Are electric cars taken over or not? What moved the needle? Which project moved the needle at what time? So a city can go, we spent two months with this marketing budget to try to make our city greener. They don't really know what happened within those two months. There's a lot going on where they don't understand. With, what, with our technology, we're keeping track of everything. We can actually see how many fuel guzzlers got taken off the road during that specific time frame. And even past that, you can go, okay, this city opened up a McDonald's in this area. What happens to the traffic when that specifically happened? Did it deflect fuel guzzlers? Did it deflect Hondas or Civics or BMWs or what happens in the cities? Because we can now start going throughout all of these different cities, the results always the same in this specific case. Or, so that also blends into use cases for retailers, for restaurants, for marketing so that they can do McDonald's, putting up a sign saying two for one nuggets. And then going, when you put that sign up, the, this type of vehicle turned into your driveway. But when you put two for one Big Macs, then this type of vehicle turned into your driveway. Just that's worth a lot to McDonald's because now they can go, this specific store has a lot of civics in front of it. And we know that civic drivers as a majority like to eat Big Macs or they like to eat fries or whatever it may be. So they can actually start and you don't need big differences in numbers to make huge differences in the bottom line. But yeah, that's 
a few use cases, but there, there are a lot of them and they're not all financial. A lot of them are actually more of a cleaning up the world, greener, healthier, saving lives where people are, or automatic dispatch of accidents. That's another thing just locally here. Um, one small city, 30,000 residents is over a million dollars per year dispatching fire trucks because around here, when there's an accident, the fire truck has to go. So for them, they're going, if your solution is less than a million dollars a year, we'll pay that because if we can actually have something where an accident's detected and we can have an immediate response of this is a situation where we don't have to dispatch a fire truck, then that's huge. And that's just, again, one small example of a use case. But there are many, yeah, it's almost infinite, really, if you think about it. Yeah. And everything from climate to marketing, to city planning, to optimization of city resources based on what's going on. Yeah. And it seems like the opportunity for highly lucrative and generally beneficial outcomes are, yeah, almost endless. The privacy issue, really the number one, but talk about between this being a city run initiative and one that's in the web three private sector, it's a, there's no comparison. So. Yeah. And that's the thing too, is a lot of cities have invested heavily into this already. A lot of the larger cities have spent hundreds of millions of dollars putting up cameras to do what? Who knows? It's in their control. Nobody has a right to have to say or do anything about this one. It's a gray area where we, everybody knows that there are some things that are being sure that shouldn't in terms of privacy. But another one of those things is when you're actually on the road, you actually not, you don't have much in terms of privacy. And that's something that a lot of people don't realize is when you're in your car driving, you're not, this is public space. It's not a right to drive it. It's a privilege and your privacy goes out the window. So they can legally track a lot of things, but they don't share it necessarily. Cisco last year, I think it was wrote off a billion dollar investment within the space, within the smart city sector, where they were trying to do this, put cameras up to help a plethora of use cases in track or red light management systems, congestion management. So all of these things that they're trying to do, but what ended up happening is the cities are investing hundreds of millions of dollars into this network. They get it built. They have it set up. The citizens are upset because the city spent all of this money on something used to track them and they don't know what's being tracked. And now the city has this infrastructure that they can't really do anything with. They're getting all this data coming in. And that goes back to what we were saying earlier, where when you have one use case, it's pretty expensive to do all of this just for that one use case. When we have a network of what we're talking about, that's actually owned by the people and they're the ones investing their time and energy into building it on our side as Lumicate, we're putting all of our time and effort into getting the data into the right hands and then partnering with third parties for them to deliver that data for use cases. So it all starts to make sense as to this works because the investment that's being made, I guess that the benefit far surpasses the investment and time that people are putting into it because there's so many use cases. But what was happening with the cities is now they're stuck with all this data coming in. They now need to hire engineers and put more resources on top of this to figure out what to do with this data because that they didn't really think of that at the beginning. There was this big smart city push two, three years ago. And it's kind of, yeah, let's do it. But they weren't addressing specific use cases. They were trying to be a smart city. And anybody who's good at the startup world, that's not how you do things. You don't build it first and then figure out things. You go, 
specific use case, how do we fix that? So for us, yes, we are building the network, but we're going to partner with third parties that will fix specific use cases with the data. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. But it seems to me that in terms of public opinion, because there's a plenty, many places, especially here in the U.S., where if there's red light cameras, there's lots of counties and cities across, especially Texas, Florida, that just had a fit about red light cameras. And there's a public relations problem. It almost seems to me like a critical mass of a municipality would have to be on the people's network that you're building to swing the direction of public opinion, right? If there's a few technologists who are managing the network, I don't know if that would make a difference in the minds of the vast majority of people. It's just the government, it's a few people in the city. Well, I guess we'll see how it plays out, but uh, that's interesting. Do you have thoughts on that? Do you, is there, have you thought about it? Yeah, I've talked to quite a few officials on this, and that's one of the things that scares them is in their term, are they going to be the ones that actually put this, these cameras in place and that everybody hates them because are they going to get reelected? So they have a lot of fear around it. And that's why with what we're building, we want complete transparency of, on what this network is tracking. So that when people are going red light cameras are in place and I, it's like currently really people have no way of knowing what this red light camera is actually tracking. Is it just the license plate when somebody does an infraction or is it everything you're doing while you're driving? Is it, did they catch you texting on your phone? Who knows? People, there's definitely a trust issue when it comes to governments, large corporations. A lot of people have concerns. So in our case, that's what we want to do is we want to make sure that people don't have concerns on what's being tracked because it, it, it will be completely open with, we want to be open source where people can actually look at the code and go, yeah, they're just tracking cars. The number of cars that went by. Is that really a concern? If it is, we'll address it at that point. But I think it's, there's going to be a lot of people put at ease to know what is actually being tracked or not. But from there, we also want to, one, if you have people that are concerned with red light cameras, let's say, and the Bloomkit network, there's been a vote. People want to enable this within the system. Everybody can go. Everybody can get a token, set, it, set up a device, and they'll get a vote in that. Whereas currently the only way to do it is to voice your concern with city hall or raise as much noise as you can and go to the news stations, but you can still do that with our network. You can still put your voice out there in newspapers to say, people vote against this. We don't want this. And that is something that down the road, we do want to look at being location specific as well. Because when you're talking about networks like this, this world, again, one of the reasons that we're going chest traffic is it's an easy one. No, nobody has an issue with counting traffic, but as soon as you get into facial recognition or red light cameras, things like that, then those are going to be location specific votes. And that'll be another governance thing that we need to figure out. We make it so that only people within this area get to vote. Those are big problems that we need to think of, kind of start thinking of now is how do we build a network that will enable us to do that in the future? And there. Like I said, there's a lot that we've been thinking of very deeply because if we don't build it the right way now, we won't be able to easily address those things down the road. So we want to build something um, the right way now. And that's where we've been a little bit delayed on our beta launch. And it's because we're implementing some of these things in there to make sure that we don't just build a product that we completely have to redo in a two's time. No, there's so much that goes into a beta launch. And there's so much here that's speculation, just given how early you are. And it's been a fascinating tour through kind of your vision. And there's so much more to discuss, I think, 
especially once you guys have launched and you've started to give that real world feedback. It'd be awesome to have you back talking through what you've learned, what's crystallized for you. So I really look forward to following up on this conversation maybe in a year or two. This has been fascinating. So thanks so much for your time, Jason. If there's anything else you want to leave people with, any other calls to action, you can go ahead and say that now. Yeah, it's not after the wait list right now, illumicate.com. Otherwise, anybody can get in touch with me through our Discord server, which the link is also on Illumicate. Our Twitter account is on there too. I'm more than happy to answer any questions or concerns. And yeah, enjoyed the talk. I'm, I'm more than happy to be on here again next year to, to discuss our expansion 